0: Welcome to CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. and I am joined by my friendos, Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge at CFB Winning Edge on the Twitter for him and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter for him. Boys, it's getting, uh, you know, it's get, the world is getting weirder and weirder every single day. So, Nick, you're surviving it. Everything's good with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I was in a little bit of a weird mood earlier today, uh, just sort of just pondering things, I guess, as one does in the second week of a, a quarantine situation, but uh, we've Too had some news in the last, <laughs> right, exactly, uh, but the the last couple of hours here as we talk, it's just after 6 p.m. on the East Coast on Wednesday, uh, we've had some some news come out, some uh, you know big time quarterback transfer uh made a commitment and then draftkings released their uh complete all 130 team uh win totals so that lines up perfectly with what we were gonna talk about uh, a little bit later in the show and then also you know what we talked about last week so I feel really good about that was running through those uh the last you know hour or so before we uh sat down to to chat here so now i'm i'm kind of I'm back in good spirits. I'm revved up and and ready to to talk about some college football,
0: yeah, I mean, Xavier, how are you uh, how are you surviving the quarantine? You have more time to rip on Notre Dame fans on Twitter. Is that going well for you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, with all the coronavirus things going on, I haven't had enough opportunity to get at fans. Uh, you know, but if anybody wants to, uh, as Scott will say multiple times throughout this episode, you know, my Twitter <laughs> handle is there. Uh, you know, I'm always looking for a good old fashioned argument. I got into an argument yesterday with somebody about Will Chamberlain and if the 100 points was real or fake. So I'm down for anything at the moment. I'm why why would
0: they say it's fake?
2: They said it was fake. They just they said there's no video evidence uh, giving them. the I mean, they know that, that was a
0: long time ago, right? When when Will Chamberlain <laughs> was playing basketball and the opponents all look like me. Well, how could he not score 100 points <laughs> is my question mark. That's you know, uh,
2: all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. You know. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I like the revisionist history. The uh, I wasn't there, so clearly it didn't happen. You know what I mean? That yes. the, the opinions. Of people, you know what? Do me a favor, Xavier. Don't ever direct me to any of those tweets that you get. Because uh, <laughs> I'm generally in a pretty good mood. When I see stuff like that, I go, oh, come on. And it's yeah, like let me, let me. I say to myself, "Do you have to say something about this?" And then uh, I go, "No, no." But then there's that little voice that goes, "Well, this guy needs to learn, though, you know." And and then I well, might I might go back at it. See, you don't seem to have that filter. You're like, "No, no, nah. no this guy needs to learn. Like he needs a yeah. lesson right now."
2: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't gotten into enough arguments for me to be like, "All right, you know what? I'm just gonna pass over this one." Every argument to me is like. You're being slanderous. I need to come after you with all the facts and tell you why you're wrong. Uh,
0: it's funny. There was a uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Funny People, but it's one of my it's one of my favorite movies. It's a very very underrated movie that Adam Sandler did, and he has um, you know it's about stand up comics, and he has this uh, he's doing a theater kind of at the end of the movie, and it opens up with this uh, thing where he's like, in your 20s, you're like, you know, you're so angry, you're like, you know. Eh- F my parents. They don't know. you know. And then in your 30s, you're like, F the president. That guy doesn't know. And then in your 40s, you're like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. <laughs> it's time for me to quit being so mad. And I feel like I'm still in my late 30s, but I kind of feel like I'm in the I'm hungry section. You know, I don't need to be so <laughs> mad at people with bad opinions anymore. So uh, w- with, I mean, people sowing misinformation is the biggest thing. Uh, going on right now, bigger than bad takes. But, uh, you know, uh, that that's kind of the stage that I'm in. But we got a lot of stuff to talk about, not just, uh, you know, all of our Twitter prowesses here, uh, because there is a lot of news and notes here. And Nick, Kirk Herbstreit, Reese, and Reese Davis gave uh, their opinion on the likelihood of the 2020 season. I didn't really get a chance to see it. I feel like there are – you're almost – we almost have camps. It's either uh, – yeah – what are you guys talking about? This is the flu. It's going to be fine. I don't know why we aren't practicing now. Or no way this season gets played. Everyone's stupid who thinks it is. It, and that's, I hate the um, the kind of discord that we have as far as that stuff goes. Where it's not, there's no gray area. It's either people think that it's going on like normal. It's just a cloudy day. Nothing's really bad is happening. Or doom and gloom, the world is is. Uh, coming apart at the seams and why would we even care about sports so uh, what were their opinions and hopefully please tell me that they weren't doom and gloom
1: <laughs> well uh, everybody is, is reacting as if Kirk Herbstreet was in the, the complete doom and gloom uh, camp and, and you know his his words it, it's, it's a little hard to, to uh, I guess not see it that way uh, or, or you know to see that as his perspective uh, apparently, uh, you know, TMZ reported something that, that Street said, quote, I'll be shocked if we have NFL football this fall. Uh, if we have college football, I'll be surprised if that happens. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's, uh, certainly, understandable I think I mean pretty clear he didn't talk to Roger Cadell
0: about that I mean
1: (laughs) well I mean it's 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 just sort of you know it seems like every day things are getting pushed back more and more and more so I I I get where he's coming from certainly and, and he's not the only person to have said something like this and 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 you know he he goes on to talk about how if there's a vaccine it's gonna be 12 to 18 months away and uh you know just sort of all the the details that go into uh you know crowds and football as a sport is uh you know it's not very easy to to get everybody six feet apart and that sort of thing so uh, i i certainly understand where he's coming from uh his his uh good friend and and, uh colleague at espn reese davis uh took i think maybe more of the, the approach that you are uh, hoping for of, of kind of a, an optimistic tone, a, a wait and see, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will have football in the fall was, was kind of the, the gist of his uh, opinion. And and I guess I'm, I'm sort of in that camp. I mean, I, I certainly am, am no expert on, on any of this and, and people much smarter than me are in charge of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a say into what actually happens when we have football, if we have football. Um, but, I, I, you know, I've seen some some chatter uh, online about how college football in particular is so vital to each individual institution that it, it really kind of, uh, in, in some way, college football almost has to happen for, for some of these schools, especially uh, lower division schools that, or you know, smaller conference schools, even at the FBS level, that rely on uh, revenue from college football to to sort of keep the the rest of the athletic department afloat, and and you know, some institutions themselves uh, are potentially in trouble if if certain revenue streams are lost, including of course uh, tuition, which is uh, going to be an issue if if people aren't able to go on campus in, in the, the fall. I mean, I saw earlier today, Ohio state said that they're not going to have uh, on campus uh, the summer semester, which is kind of a, kind of a big deal, especially if you're looking ahead to college football and guys are supposed to be on campus and uh, what in, in late July, early August to get ready for fall camp. So that's, that's sort of a big deal. And, and wonder if anybody else uh, will follow quickly on that, but uh sort of this is also sort of an opportunity we haven't really said since all this went down a a couple of weeks ago sort of what how it's going to affect us and certainly you know life can happen and and things could happen if if you know one of us is unable to to be on a show at at a particular time that you know we'll deal with all that as it happens but sort of my thought is Pretty much everything that that we'll do at CFB Winning Edge will operate as if college football is going to start on time. I get less and less optimistic each day uh, that that will actually happen. But I think that by sort of continuing our current offseason schedule and and sort of getting all the the projects done that I want to get done, it'll put us in a a really good place whenever – you know college football is able to to kick off and and so until there's any sort of official uh postponement or cancellation or anything like that you know as long as real life the real world doesn't get in the way uh we'll just sort of operate as as usual as if everything was was going to be on schedule so uh figured that could use herb street's uh thoughts and, and then you know reese davis's uh hopefully a little more optimistic take uh or at least you know people are are are, uh out to get uh herbie it it seems for having such a a pessimistic look on it but uh thought it was a pretty good opportunity to sort of address our near-term future and and basically the long and short of it is uh for now at least uh things aren't going to change very much for us
0: yeah yeah exactly so uh, you know, a- a- as long as there's no official announcement, nothing changes with us. And even if there is an announcement of things getting pushed back, I think we can still probably, you know, li- like like you just said, Nick. Unless uh, something changes, where, uh, you know, I have a different work schedule. Javier has a different work schedule. Maybe even you, you know, as long as our schedule is has the ability to stay the same, we're gonna keep putting out shows. So, um, that that's and, and what you have for...
1: to look
2: to
0: absolutely and and uh, our patrons have already seen a uh,
1: an uptick in uh, some content on the site uh, a couple of uh, couple of things were up uh, within the last couple of days already this week so that i hope is is going to continue as well that you know now that some of the the bigger projects are uh, either complete or the the into the when uh, the light at the end of the tunnel I, I I'm starting to see on um, some of the, the big big projects uh, have a little bit more time to, to sit down and, and write out uh, more thoughts and and sort of go deeper into what some of our numbers are and, and so excited about that as well so really in, in a lot of ways hopefully you'll be seeing uh, more of us in, instead of less of us uh, at least through you know written content uh, coming up in the next few months.
0: And Xavier, I mean, you've been out of school for a while now, right? I mean, uh, what's going to happen with, with your semester? Are they going to do it online? What's going on there?
2: So, so far, all of it's online. Um, we have no real word on what's going to happen in the summer. Um, luckily for me, I'm at the back half of my college career. Actually, I'll graduate in the fall, so I'll be all done this year, Hopefully. Um, my classes can be online this summer. I don't have to go on the campus. So in the case that they shut down all campus classes for the summer, I'll still be okay. Uh, but there are no words of that yet, um, happening and there's no real word on what might happen in the fall either. So everybody's kind of sitting on pins and needles down here in Georgia, trying of figure out what we're going to do. Um, I can only imagine how stressful it is for kids who lived on campus because yeah. luckily for me, I live at home with the parents. I only live like 30 minutes from campus anyways. Uh, so I don't I didn't get displaced in this situation. Uh, but for kids, I mean, uh, hoping that they might have an opportunity to come back to campus, you know, in the summertime, you know, news of uh, Ohio State doing this does not bode well for them possibly uh, going home uh, or going back to their dorms at some point uh, soon. So. Uh, you know, just hoping that uh, we get word soon so that people can make the proper arrangements going in the summertime.
0: Yeah, it's weirdness abound for everyone. I mean, I, yeah. I I did see some positivity. I mean, I watch a lot of... Uh, I don't know if you guys know who Tom Segura or Burt Kreischer are. They're stand-up comedians, and they have a bunch of podcasts and stuff, and they're involved with Dr. Drew a lot. And they've talked to Dr. Drew, who's been on mm. the news all over the place. And he said... I, he said he thinks that we're going to get a better feel for how long this is going to take in the next two weeks, and we're probably going to be feeling positive about it. I heard that today as we're recording this, so that made me feel a little bit better. So today... Uh, I'm doing all right. Tomorrow, someone will say something else, and I'll go into a dark, deep despair. So, you know, there's not a lot of uh, gray area in my opinion either. I'm trying, I'm trying to stay as positive as I possibly can. But uh, today on the show, we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, the group of five win totals. Uh, DraftKings just put out theirs, so we'll have Nick talk about that a little bit, and we're going to be uh, taking a look back and a really a look forward at Conference USA for 2020. But a couple other notes that uh, to go over before we get into that stuff. An extra year of eligibility was granted for spring athletes. Football could see a similar rule if the season is greatly impacted, but we're going to have to wait and see uh, what happens there. Obviously, nothing canceled for the fall yet, and the NCAA said, no, we're not granting anything because right now it seems that, that it's going to be status quo and those sports are going to go on. So fingers crossed. Um, the NCAA extended the recruiting dead period to May 31st. So, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that means that they can't visit recruits, but they may still be able to do the texting and all that stuff, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a, a recruiting expert. Xavier might have a, a little bit more uh, of a grasp of of everything, but as I understand it, and this certainly makes sense now. You know, no no face to face meetings. Uh, whether it's on campus or, or at home. Uh, and then uh, I, I think that there might still be some electronic communi- uh, communication that's that's available, but but I, I don't know that for sure. But basically, as I understand, it, it's just sort of a uh, you know common sense. Nobody needs to be getting together right now anyway. So even though you know, guys want to uh, see uh, you know potential, uh, campuses that that they will uh, go to eventually now's just not really the time. So uh, this is is having sort of an interesting impact on recruiting all of this, and and so it, it's possible I might get into recruiting and, and maybe learn a bit a little bit more about it uh, as a result. But uh, as I understand it, it's more so the the visits and things like that. Mm-hmm. But but correct me if I'm wrong, Xavier.
2: No, Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, They might not have any face-to-face contact with college-bound student-athletes or their parents. um, And then at the end, they may not watch uh, student-athletes compete or visit their high schools. Uh, But they're still allowed to communicate via text, telephone, digital platforms, and social media uh, with appropriate uh, PSAs and their families. So pretty much, as as you said, just no face-to-face contact here.
0: All right. Well, uh, hopefully – uh, you know, that gets turned around soon, too. But if if recruiting is the biggest thing affected this year, we'll take it. So uh, right. F- fingers crossed that that's the biggest thing. Um, now, you've got a new list of every FBS team up on Patreon right now and the number of spring uh, practice uh, sessions completed in 2020. Uh, tell us about that real quick, Nick.
1: Yeah. So uh, early. This week, I think it was. It, it's starting to all run together for me now. But I, uh, I, I sat down and and I, I was trying to. to I, I have been trying to uh, read up a little bit more on you know individual teams. I've, I've been kind of thinking uh, scheduling out my next few months. Like I said, now that that my day to day there's there's a a little bit more of a gap at certain points in the day because I'm not just uh, completely. Uh, you know, uh, in the, the team profiles trying to update everything for, for next year. I I've basically within two weeks, those are pretty much going to be finalized, just finishing up the, the returning production numbers, uh, that'll be available on the 15th. So I was doing a little reading, Uh, and it kept popping up, you know, so-and-so practiced three days, so-and-so practiced six times, so-and-so was, you know, about to start spring practice the following Monday when everything got shut down and and postponed. And and we talked before, a couple of weeks ago, about, you know, how this whole thing will affect uh, teams in the fall, whether or not you know a, a team that completely missed spring practice will be uh, sort of at a, a competitive disadvantage. and And my own opinion sort of changes day to day almost. and And sometimes I think, you know, oh, spring practice really doesn't matter. It's just sort of a chance for uh, coaches to kind of get a feel for, you know, guys that are going to be competing for certain roles, guys that are going to be stepping up into, uh, you know, the, the empty place of somebody that graduated or left early for the NFL draft. And and there's really not that big a deal. And then the more I, I think about it, and, and, you know, last week or, or earlier this week, whenever it was, uh, the SEC and the Big 12 both announced that they will uh, allow virtual meetings with, you know, between coaches and, and, uh, the team. And, and, uh, that's something that wasn't in place early on. And it seems like, uh, I would, I would certainly expect other conferences and, and schools to, uh, follow that, 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 you know, should be allowed. They should be able to, uh, to, uh have, you know, chalk talk sessions, install meetings, all that sort of stuff. And that's certainly going to help ease, the situation for, for some of the teams that are completely without spring practice. And, you know, some of the new offensive coordinators, new head coaches, we've talked about how those will be the ones, you know, most greatly impacted. And then, uh, a team like Georgia, who's got a, uh, uh, transfer quarterback a new offensive coordinator you know those are the situations that are really hurt the most when it comes to not having a, a spring practice because you want to get uh-huh. you know sort of in the rhythm of things with a, a new group of, of uh, folks on on both the coaching staff and on the field and, and then the more I was thinking about it uh, I, I remember back to my playing days long long ago and and my coaching days uh not quite as long ago but it's it's been a while and uh, you know it it dawned on me you know you can you can show a kid and or a young man uh something on on a whiteboard or or on a uh on an ipad or or whatever it is and it might you know he, he might think he gets it he might think that he understands it, but then when he gets out on the field, really it just hasn't clicked yet. Sometimes it, it actually just takes running through it on grass to sort of get it right for that light bulb to, to come on. So uh, that that's just sort of been on, on my mind a little bit. I think the virtual meetings are, are certainly going to help. I think the teams that were able to get most of or a complete uh, spring uh, session, there were only three teams that got all 15 practices if if, uh, if memory serves. Uh, so I think that those teams do have an actual advantage and, and it might not be huge, but I thought it might be interesting for our readers, our, our uh, supporters to actually because I haven't seen it out there anywhere, uh, a complete list of you know Alabama zero practices, Arkansas zero practices, uh, uh, you know, Kentucky, uh, six practices or whatever it was so I, I figured I would put all that together and, and if it's of use to anybody if anybody thinks that that'll be uh, important come fall uh, maybe that you know provides a little bit of value but yeah p- put that up on uh, Patreon for our subscribers uh, I think it was Monday yeah Monday
0: yeah I mean it's gonna be <laughs> this stuff is just getting uh, crazy and weird and interesting I guess is the way uh, to describe this, but um, I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit before the show started and I'm excited about this move. I, all these moves, man, they better play the season. I'm gonna be super disappointed if they don't. But uh, Anthony Brown has uh, committed to Oregon. And I really like this for him, and I really like this for Oregon. He's expected to uh, compete with Tyler Shuck for the starting job. Uh, Obviously, they're replacing Justin Herbert, but they still have a great offensive line, pretty good defense, should be strong in the Pac-12. He started uh, all three years so far at Boston College. Last season, he uh, went out week six with a knee injury that ended his season. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm excited about this. Nick, what do you feel about Anthony Brown going to Oregon? Yeah, it's a
1: uh, it's a very interesting move, and and I tweeted out when I saw the news that it was an interesting and unexpected spot. I, for whatever reason, I mean, Justin Herbert being gone is is a a big hole to fill, uh, and and he's a longtime starter, been at Oregon for for you know seems like forever. And uh, there's always a little bit of, of, uh, you know, you always worry a little bit when a longtime starter leaves if the guy that you've got on hand is is ready to step up and and be the guy. And Tyler Shuck did, you know, put up huge numbers in in a very, very limited uh, amount of playing time last year. And I guess I was just operating under the impression that Uh, he was ready to be the guy. Like I had heard some good things about him. I'd heard uh, some good things about his running ability. uh, And, and, you know, they were looking forward to getting him out of the pocket a little bit more than Justin Herbert had in the, you know, until the Rose bowl. Uh, And and I was getting a a pretty, uh, I don't know, confident vibe, I guess, out of Oregon this spring. And, and, uh, but then of course, you know, uh, having, having a, a veteran, uh, who has been a starter? Who has a, a you know a, a nice skill set? A- Anthony Brown certainly can do some good things on the ground, and and I think he uh, also has some ability as a passer as well. And and so uh, for whatever reason, I, I still think that Shuck is is uh, he's still listed as the top quarterback on our team profiles. I will put it that way. Anthony Brown is is very very good. Is slightly. Higher rated, he's an eighty-five uh, rated player based on uh, his experience and his production to this point. Shuck is uh, a shade under an eighty-four, so they're very comparable. But for whatever reason, Shuck being on campus, I, I give him a slight edge here. But I think it's certainly possible that Brown, if healthy, uh, is able to to compete for that job. And and uh, I was I was having a conversation. I uh, actually have a. a slow draft going in a, a college fantasy football mock draft. And, and we've talked about our buddy, Mike Bainbridge, uh, a couple of times before, and, and he's the one that set it up. And, and uh, immediately after the news, he selected Anthony Brown in the, I don't know, eighth round or whatever <laughs> we're in. And, and I just, yeah, I just wrote, you know, haha ha, Mike. Uh, Cause you knew he was going to be on top of it and asked him, you know, I said it seems like a nice fit. Do you think he's really the the surefire starter? And he brings he brings up a good point. I mean, if you if you're bringing in a senior grad transfer, probably that player is going to start 99 percent of the
0: time. Yeah, that's what and I he was mentioned what
1: I mentioned that that Brandon Wimbush kind of was the it, it, exception, but even he started week one, which which is a great point. I mean, he, you know, you you kind of give that guy uh, the inside track and and make make the other uh, person beat him and and that makes sense Uh, i think the the knee injury is is something that that could be a factor uh but it happened early enough last season that that he's certainly gonna um have enough time to to get back and and be ready but um i don't know it's just interesting It, it it wasn't expected for me and it seems like a good fit but my my instant reaction was not okay so Anthony Brown is going to start at Oregon this year. So uh, I'll be very interested to see how it plays out.
0: That was my instant reaction. So break the tie here, Xavier. What do you think about Anthony Brown going to Oregon?
2: I think this is a great move for him. Um, This is a guy who we all, or at least from the numbers perspective, kind of expected him to take that next step going into his his last year at Boston College last season. Obviously, he got hampered by a, a knee injury. But also Boston College wasn't all that good of a program last year. I think this is an excellent move for him going to a place where I think right away he's the front runner to start. Um, especially with the current climate, with football, you know, possibly starting, you know, having a shortened offseason. I think a guy that has proven ability on the field right now is what you're looking for from a uh, from your starting quarterback. A guy who has won big games, who has played at, played at a high level, playing in the ACC for three years. It's a guy that you can, you know, you can put your team behind and you feel like you're putting it in good hands. Uh, This is a kid who's also very dynamic, um, you know, a quarterback who I think a lot of people when he has the Oregon uniform on might see immediate comparisons to a guy like Dennis Dixon. Uh, I think personally he has to come in and start right away. Um, And I think he's going to I think he has put himself in a position where he can have a season that really boosts his draft stock. To a place where it wouldn't be if he had have stayed at Boston College um, for another season. So I, I, I really, I, I love this move for Anthony Brown.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's a good point that Nick makes, of course, about um, you know, Shuck isn't gonna just Anthony Brown ain't gonna come in and just take the job. Like he's at least That's going true. to have to win it. But I think we would expect the guy with the experience, and plus the things that uh, the the Oregon coaching staff probably told him was you know. We expect you to come in and beat Shuck, and if you can't, it says you know more about you probably than it does Shuck because he's Correct. younger. So uh, I, I I think this is a great move for him. I mean, obviously Oregon, uh, it, it's a Pac twelve after dark a bunch. But uh, he, he, they're going to be on TV way more than Boston College, so uh, I think it's uh, I think it's a great move for him. Uh, got some nice weapons at Oregon as well, and uh, sitting behind a great offensive line, and that definitely is going right. to help Justin Herbert get drafted. So um, I, I love this move for him uh, personally. But uh, Nick, the big, well, go ahead. Well, that was the the last point
1: that that I uh, wanted to bring up. It is. The thing that gives Brown maybe a, a better chance than I would have originally thought is Joe Moorhead just got there. So a new offensive coordinator. It's a completely new system. Right. And Shuck was able to, to uh, go through a, a few practices um, and was able to, you know, have meetings in the in the winter and, and uh, in the spring and is currently – you know, able to, to go through and have meetings if, if and when the Pac 12 uh, opens that up to, to members of the conference. But um, that does limit, you know, sort of level the playing field a little bit. Something that didn't, I mean, it registered with me, but it didn't quite uh, click that, like, oh, that's right. Chuck actually doesn't have as big of a head start as it might seem at first glance. So,
0: Well, I mean, oh, and yeah. also if they saw him practice a little bit, and then, still went decided to go out and recruit Anthony Brown. I don't think that's good news for Shuck either.
1: Well, see that's and that's a that's a very good point. But then also the and everybody's always optimistic in the spring. But but just the very early things I saw were very very positive about Shuck. Okay. So who knows? I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's sort of a, a uh, two two solid options. Are better than one, and they've got a pretty highly regarded true freshman as well uh, who is on campus. So I, I think you know the the more the the more uh, options you've got, the the more you know the higher likelihood somebody's going to be able to step up and, and be the guy. So uh, I, I certainly think it's a good move. And Brown, you know, maybe if I, I have the time to, to sit back and think on it and, and go back and watch him a little bit. Uh, I might might change my mind and and think that he is the clear front-runner. But I think just at this point, uh, it seems kind of like a a toss-up. It could be either that.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt it makes the QB room better overall. I mean, right.
2: Yeah. And and, and what I was going to say to kind of uh, wrap it up, I guess, is Joe Moorhead did a similar situation last year. Um, Tommy Stevens comes in as a transfer from Penn State. uh, And Garrett Strader is the freshman who, you know, and, and they split time. You know, he he didn't really make a quarterback decision uh, for the bulk of the season uh, until, you know, one guy won the job. And he did this throughout the year um, and did this pretty deep into the year. It was about midway through the year before we really saw kind of a quarterback take the step to where he could be the starter. Um, but if that's the case that also both were for Anthony Brown because, you know, he's getting a guy who has shown that he's going to let you win your job or lose your job um and he played pretty much them 50 50 in those first like four or five games so you know that just bodes well for anthony brown again also bodes well for shuck as well so
0: yeah yeah, uh, yeah.
2: and and
1: to, uh tommy stevens did have a, a previous connection where joe moorhead was right. the offensive coordinator there so in in some ways it it makes me think okay well you know tommy stevens wasn't able to completely nail that job down and there were some injuries of course as, as well but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know it, it's all interesting but yeah that's that's a that's another really good point is that he obviously you know he's gone through the process and, and thought it was important enough to add another uh, veteran guy to the mix like he did at Mississippi State so yeah I mean I think there's a great chance that Brown plays he could play a lot and he might be he might be the guy I don't know
0: now, now, Nick, DraftKings released win totals. Was that today that that happened as we're recording this, or was it yesterday? Uh, I know that you're excited because we have some outliers for sure.
2: <laughs>
1: I, I am excited, and, and uh, it, it's one of the things that brought me out of my funk a little bit. Uh, I didn't see it until this afternoon. It's possible that they slipped them up. Uh, you know earlier this morning or or maybe even last night and and i didn't notice but uh we talked about it last week i I told you guys it was coming that i expected them to to release these pretty soon and and uh uh we do have some outliers we talked about a few of them uh last week and then i put together a list of the 19 biggest outliers and and got that up for our patrons as well uh and, and we'll talk about you know several of the the g5 but um of of the uh comparing our win total projections to the official numbers that that the odds makers at DraftKings put up uh overall our the difference in the two was was roughly half a win which on one hand made me really happy because as I was going through the list and, and looking at them and I was like man that you know we're we're you know a quarter of a win different here we're you know, point one away. Oh, we're, oh, this is sort of a big one We're we're almost a full point. And it it made me think like, man, you know, we're, we're thinking so much like the odds makers. There's not really a whole lot of uh, huge differences here. Uh, But of, of 130, we had 19 that actually had a a difference uh, greater than one win in either direction. So either we had them, you know, one win or more uh, above the, you know, to, to take the over on whatever the win total is, or, or a win or more uh, below. And, and our biggest outlier uh, was actually two wins different. So I, I felt pretty good that we had uh, a lot that were very, very close. Uh, and I felt also good that we had uh, a decent chunk that there was some difference. So it, it'll give a good opportunity to see, you know, if we have a better read on some of these teams than DraftKings does. And, and that list includes Utah. We talked about uh, last week was, was one that we're uh, higher on than we expected the oddsmakers to be. And, and that was true. They are one of the bigger outliers. Uh, Washington state's in that list, Nebraska, Purdue, West Virginia, Michigan state, Boston college, and Oklahoma. So all of those our win total projection is either uh, one win or more.
0: Had too many uh, wins higher. for Oklahoma, huh, Nick?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, that's not Oklahoma. That, that's a that's a typo on my part. Oklahoma State.
0: Oh. Oklahoma
1: State. Yeah. No, Oklahoma. We we basically had it right on. number. I think um, Scott got really uh, yeah. happy for a second. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah now I'm back <laughs> down in the in the dark area. Thanks a lot, Nick. Yeah, Appreciate that. <laughs>
1: So Oklahoma State was uh, was one that that which is an interesting one. I, I don't know if we uh, we might have time to, to go deeper on some of these, maybe in a, in a future show. But uh, it, it's a good opportunity to see one sort of where we stand, and, and I I feel pretty confident in, in a lot of our numbers. I was I was more pleased than displeased that over a hundred of them were, you know. Very, very close. Uh, and then it's also an, an opportunity to sort of explore some of these outliers. Are they outliers because we did something wrong? Or are they outliers because uh, maybe we, like I said before, have a, a little bit better read? So uh, interesting to, to, to dive into some of these uh, group of five win totals and, and maybe talk a little bit about some of the other outliers on our list as well.
0: All right, let's take a look at the AAC first, Xavier, here. And I'm having a hard time pulling a number. Off of these win totals that I don't like for the AAC, I think these are pretty in line. Is there one that sticks out to you here?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, maybe giving Cincinnati mo- one more win, um, but all of my possibles would just be maybes. Um, when I look at this list, I think there's not a team out there that they have right now that just makes me go, "That's ridiculous," or eh, maybe you're underselling them a bit. Uh, like I said, I think Cincinnati at eight wins maybe a little low. Uh, they do. Uh, come back with their starting quarterback that defense has eight returning starters and we know how good that defense was all last year uh so maybe they can go they can pull out nine wins especially with me thinking that the only other co- uh, competition in the conference is probably UCF and Memphis going into this year um so that bodes well for a nine win season for them at least uh, but other than that I don't see
0: anything else Nick, I mean, uh, uh, these numbers for the AAC specifically look great. Uh, was there one to you that you saw and you went, "Ooh," you know, uh, g- gave yourself an ulcer about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well,
1: so so there are two of our outliers are, are in the AAC, and and uh, overall felt decent about the the pretty much that the the, the uh, sort of absolute value of the the difference uh, is going to be a little bit bigger in in the G5 conferences. And and that's somewhat to be expected. Uh, We've talked in the the past about how our uh, numbers against the spread are are better for Power 5 conferences. And and one of the big uh, priorities for me in the offseason was to to tighten it up and and get better at uh, G5. And and so uh, I, I wasn't shocked that we had some outliers in the AAC. Overall, our numbers are about uh, two-thirds of a win off, uh, which is a little bit higher than than the overall group, and part of that is because Navy is actually one of our bigger outliers. They're, they're pretty high on our list. We have Navy winning uh, five and a half games roughly, and that's almost two wins uh, lower than DraftKings. They have Navy at 7.5, and, and and that's the one that makes me nervous because uh, we talked a little bit last week about the Mountain West, and Air Force was a team that we only had favored in two games. We had them projected to win about five games, but they, they still uh, just completely overshot, and Navy was a team we were pretty low on last year as well, but they improved so much, and they had Malcolm Perry, and he was just incredible, and they went off and had a really, really special season. So Navy and, and Air Force and Army, to a, uh, another extent, they're really, really difficult to project because they recruit basically two-star guys and they recruit a ton of them. So you you are more likely to get a Malcolm Perry type guy who's going to just sort of explode onto the scene and be a perfect fit for a triple option offense and can really take over a team. But then on the other end, you know, the the talent level is much, much lower from a roster strength standpoint that, that we always talk about. Our numbers, you know, they, they count each of those two stars and unless and there's a guy that puts up uh, a ton of production, which because the rosters are so big, it's difficult for a guy to get a starting job until, you know, junior, senior year. So it's difficult to really boost uh, or build up those production points. I'm always very nervous about a team like Navy that we might be sort of undervaluing uh, them that said Malcolm Perry was a special player played the premium position at quarterback I'm not quite sure if Perry Olson is that guy uh so i'm 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 willing to to go with the under and say okay there's a, there's probably a pretty good chance you know if it were seven i'd be very nervous but but getting that extra half win uh the seven and a half i, I feel pretty good i think navy is going to take a step back so i, I feel decent about that being one of our outliers. Uh, the other one is, is the uh, sort of our last outlier our, our win total is 1.03 wins higher. we have temple expected to win uh, 6.03 wins uh, so uh, uh, slightly, uh, better than the number that, that DraftKings put at five.
0: Moving over to the Mountain West Conference here, uh, you know, I, I think these numbers, Xavier, are pretty good too. Obviously, uh, no double digit win total in this conference, which mm-hmm. I don't think we have in Power Five outside of UCF. So, uh, not very surprising, but uh, nine and a half wins for Boise State. We talked about how it's them and everybody else. Next highest win total is Air Force, seven and a half. Is there one for the mountain West that jumps off the page at you here?
2: Well, yeah, you know, last week I was talking about, um, uh, how high I was on Wyoming and I'm going to stay with that, uh, confidence. So I think five and a half wins is a little low. I think they will be more than, a, uh, than, than, be a bowl team. Uh, so I think seven wins is where I have them at going into next season. Uh, so I think five and a half is too low, um, for Hawaii, uh, I don't know if I'm comfortable having them at six wins. Um, I don't know if I'm comfortable with a team with a brand-new quarterback, brand-new head coach, uh, coming into a situation where they lose so much production that, he, that uh, Cole McDonald was giving them all of last year. Uh, can that offense get anywhere near that production? Um, with a defense that was, you know, Swiss cheese last year, I don't really know if a bowl game is in their sights. So I think six wins might be a little high for them. Uh, other than that, maybe Boise State being – uh under double digit wins is uh kind of ridiculous because we think about boise state easily running the table in their own conference so with that being the case they would only need to win two uh two games outside of the conference to get to 10 wins uh so it would so nine and a half wins is safe uh but i think they could easily go over
0: and uh nick i mean did anything jump off the page here when you first ran the numbers
1: yeah, so uh, Boise State's official win total, what what DraftKings put up, was ten. So okay. uh, we're at nine. We're at nine and a half, and and that's uh, perhaps a, a a little bit low. But um, you know, if, if we were to round that up, if they get. If they go 10-2, and two, then, then they would push, and, and, you know, that's not what you're rooting for, of course. But uh, our numbers do see, as we talked about last week, Boise State is a clear, clear favorite in the Mountain West. But there's sort of a, a pretty fat middle, I think, in, in the Mountain West this year where uh, I wouldn't be shocked if somebody, you know, jumped up and, and bit them somewhat like BYU did last year. And, and of course, it would happen to have, have to happen twice uh, but they do play Florida State again, and, and uh, they do play BYU. So those are games that they're capable of, of losing as well. So I feel, I feel decent that, that we're uh, just a shade under the, the, uh, the 10 that, that DraftKings posted. Uh, as far as uh, outliers, our, our number one outlier, and, and we talked about them a couple of times now because uh, I, I had a feeling it was going to go this way back before I got a win projection uh, numbers together. Colorado State has a very, very talented roster compared to their Mountain West rivals. Uh, we're not necessarily a fan of Steve Adazio as, as far as just, you know, the most exciting offense and, and that sort of stuff. But uh, I, we project Colorado State to win about six games, a little bit over. And uh, DraftKings listed them at four. I, I think Ooh. that there's really no way in the world that, that they win uh, fewer than four games. And, and you know, they bring back so much experience on the offensive side. And Adazio, uh, love him or hate him, has done a pretty decent job of actually getting more out of his available talent, uh, you know, what he had at, at Boston College. From a roster strength standpoint, they were not, year to year, you know, the the, the roster you would expect to be uh, Go into bowl games, but he was able to, uh, you know, put guys in position to be successful. Was able to consistently get them uh, two six wins year in year out. Wasn't, of course, able to get much more than that, but um, did did a good enough job uh, with what was on hand. And at Colorado State, now he has a little bit more on hand than most everybody else. I mean, they're you know ranked second to. Uh, Boise State as far as our roster strength number so I feel pretty good about that one I think we've got a better read on Colorado State than uh, the odds makers so that they're our biggest outlier uh, the only other one is Fresno State which the odds makers have uh, six is their win total we have roughly seven and a half and we talked again last week we were too high on Fresno State in uh, 2019. So there's a, a, the potential for us to be too high again, but you know, the, the two previous years that were coming off back to back double digit wins. Uh, so I, I feel like there's certainly a a good opportunity for them to bounce back in, in, uh, 2020. I, I think that both Colorado state and Fresno state, you know, we're not, we're not touts. We're not saying these are the best bets or, you know, any, any of that, but I, I feel pretty good about our numbers in both of those, that those two are capable of of hitting the over.
0: Now, hey, Nick, go ahead.
2: I was, I was going to ask you what the number was, because I know we talked about how UNLV could be a team that surprises a lot of people. Um, do, you, uh, what was, do you remember what DraftKings had uh, for UNLV as far as their win total in comparison to ours?
1: Uh, UNLV has it listed as three so okay. we're we're over for them as well uh we have almost four three point eight four is our our official uh you know uh, total uh win projection so rounded that up to four and i think that's reasonable uh, especially if like we talked about our money uh uh, uh was rogers, is, rogers yeah, if our money rogers is is uh you know back to what he was as a as a retro freshman or, or a, a sophomore, I think that there's certainly a, a good opportunity for UNLV to, to get to four for sure. Okay.
0: Now, Conference USA, we don't have to go too deep in uh, on because we're obviously going to be talking Conference USA in a minute here. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think there's many surprises here either. Xavier, or UAB with the highest win total. FAU, probably a better team, but a harder schedule. Yeah. They've got eight. Uh, Louisiana Tech here seven and a half. Uh, Marshall had a great year last year. They're six and a fives, uh point five. Southern Miss seven point five. So anything jumping off the the board here for you, Xavier?
2: Yeah, maybe just uh, UAB being the highest win total. I know you just hit on the, hit the nail on the head with the FAU having a tougher non conference schedule, so it obviously knocks them down a peg. Um, I'm just thinking at UAB, and you know we'll talk about them later. But first thing to come to mind is will they have any head scratching losses like they had last year that may drop that win total down? Um, like they did last year against teams like Minnesota Tennessee. Um, other than that, nothing.
0: Uh, Nick, are, were you pretty happy with these conference USA numbers?
1: So conference USA, it'll be interesting and we can certainly get into it, uh, a little bit, you know, a little bit more later. We're, we're higher on old dominion, uh, I uh, think that there's a, a good opportunity to, to bounce back for Old Dominion. We're lower on Rice. Didn't didn't really believe too much in Rice's sort of late season surge. So those are two outliers. We're we're on the over on Old Dominion, the under uh, for Rice, and then uh, one more uh, sort of are, are on the lower end is UTSA, and that's one that that I'm a little bit hesitant because. I don't have a, a great read on Jeff Traylor as the new head coach coming in there. I, I think UTSA uh, does have more talent on hand than we've seen in the last few years. I think they have, have underachieved sort of their their talent level. Uh, so we're, we're a little bit higher on UTSA. I think they're going to, uh, be able to, to cover the three and a half. We, th- we have them at, at roughly four and a half. So uh, those are our three outliers. But as a, as a whole, uh, the, the difference is, is 0.6 wins. I mean, it's very much in line with the other two conferences so far, as far as ours, compared to, to DraftKings. So in, in the same ballpark. But uh, there are uh, three outliers that, that could uh, potentially – provide some value if, if uh, we've got our, our numbers in order.
0: Now, Xavier, your favorite conference here, the MAC, um, <laughs> are, are there any numbers? Uh, I just remember you, <laughs> I believe, during the season you scream at me, we're not going to watch uh, Akron games or Ohio games uh, or any of that stuff. But uh, I could be getting my conferences incorrect. But um, <laughs> were there any numbers here that jumped off the page at you that you didn't like? No,
2: not really. Um I do think it was a Mac that I said that about. Wow, uh, way to keep me in check. But, uh, <laughs> um, but no, no numbers here that are are oh too surprising. Um, I'm sure Nick probably has a couple though. <laughs>
1: well, so this this is sort of the uh, the Mac is very always sort of top of mind when I think of how are our numbers doing because it's it's really difficult to handicap the Mac it's different to you know it's difficult to project it uh there there just seems to be every year almost anybody's got a a chance winning the conference so it's 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 tough I mean you know Toledo is always pretty good Ohio is always pretty good Western Michigan's been talented uh and then Miami of Ohio comes out of nowhere and and wins it last year so it's it's always a little bit. You know, it, it it is a conference that certainly makes me nervous, and we do have two outliers that, because of who they are and and what our numbers where our numbers differ, uh, make me very nervous. We have Akron as one of our biggest outliers. Their uh, DraftKings total win total is two. Of course, Akron last year won zero games, but they do uh, play UMass again. They have an opportunity for some revenge there. They're similar talent level with a lot of teams in the Mac. So uh, it, it's certainly conceivable, uh, almost expected that they win at least two games. And then our numbers actually have them winning closer to three and a half. So, uh, or excuse me, I, I have them closer to four. So uh, I, that might be a little high for Akron, but you know, I I think that three wins is certainly, certainly possible. They brought in some decent uh, transfers, including a running back who was at uh, Indiana in the past and and could be a a guy to be sort of a, a, you know, a Mac workhorse of sorts and and might be able to get them pointed in the right direction. Quarterback Cato Nelson had a, a pretty rough year last year, but He's really one of the more talented quarterbacks in the MAC. So, uh, if he's able to to stay out of trouble and stay on the field, and and uh, they're able to, uh, you, know, you know, more out of the running game, which was historically bad last year, uh, Akron certainly I think is capable of. How, how big you know, is the bet? At least be? two wins and closer to four.
0: <laughs> how, how big <laughs> is me? the bet going to be that you put on Akron, Nick? That's what I want to
1: know. Half a unit. Half oh, a unit okay, on these right. for me. So, <laughs> so not, you know, th- these are just sort of uh, to give us something to do in the meantime. You know, you can't bet on <laughs> anything else right now unless you know something about Belarusian football, you know, Belarusian hey! soccer. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's that that's, marble racing. That's all we got, so right. Uh, you know, right. it's uh, there's a lot of bets on the weather recently, so the weather's become very, very interesting. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and you got to factor in climate change and all that stuff. It's too much for me. It's too much for me. I'd rather factor yeah. in war and, and and other kinds of stuff. But uh, <laughs> the, the, we've got the Sun Belt here, Xavier, and you know what? Now that I'm going back to it, it was the Sun Belt that you yelled at me about, specifically Texas State. Because I was interested in a Texas State. (laughs) Who were they playing? I think it was Texas State-Wyoming. And now you're Uh, all over uh, Wyoming. Uh, Yeah. So you're welcome, by the way. Uh, I got you uh, interested in in Wyoming last year. I'm going to take credit for that uh, because uh, I wanted to watch that Texas State game. And, of course, it was not on television. But, um, you know, the the win totals here. I don't think it's that surprising. It's you know, Lafayette was good last year. We project them Mm -hmm. to be good this year. App State is always the best team in the Sun Belt, it seems. So we have them at nine and a half, uh, the closest to double digits outside of UCF here. So um, I I think these numbers are pretty damn solid once again.
2: Yeah, Um, I think that the only team, obviously, I'm going to be a little bit of a homer here. I think Georgia State at four and a half is a little low. I think this is a team that had for them. Defensively, had a really good recruiting class. Um, Obviously, they bring in Jemias Williams, uh, who played at South Carolina, to head the class. Um, And I think that, you know, yes, we lose Dan Ellington um, to graduation. uh, But this offense, for the most part, comes back. The O-line comes back. Um, We lose. I believe we only lost three starters on offense um, to an offense who was putting up historic numbers for Georgia State last year. And at times was the most potent offense outside of UL Lafayette in uh, the Sun Belt last year. Uh, If that defense can come around and you expect it to with uh, with losing only two starters on the defense It's 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 very well possible that they could win six games uh, at the most so or at the least So um, I think four and a half is a little low. I I know it's being cautious, but that was the only thing I'd say
0: Nick uh, Xavier clearly a total homer I mean, (laughs) uh, we all know that of course (laughs) I (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, a, as a, as a lifelong Atlanta Braves fan and, and how Georgia state plays in the old, uh, Turner field. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was born in Atlanta, lived in, uh, you know, my, my first 20 years or give or take in, in Metro Atlanta. I, I do have a soft spot in my heart for Georgia state. Of course, Xavier, uh, going there it, it sort of adds to that. Uh, but honestly, uh, Georgia State kind of overachieved our numbers last year. Oh, I know we did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and this is lose. how they gang up on me. They're both Georgia guys. <laughs> and
1: then they so. lose uh, Dan Ellington. They lose their top running back, who, who had a, a, an excellent, especially down the stretch, uh, season. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, they, they're experienced on the offensive line. They're experienced at receiver. That's important. Uh, the defense, you you think will be a little bit better that it certainly will be more experienced so there's opportunity to grow there but because of the the losses at quarterback and running back uh our, our numbers don't love georgia state this year and, and think that they uh you know if they were to play tennessee again that the chances are are pretty low that, that they're able to to off another upset so you know <laughs> factoring things in like that they, they overachieved a little bit uh I, I feel decent about our uh our our win projection at, at four and a half and and that's pretty similar to what uh DraftKings had they they had it at uh, uh five five so uh we're we're a little bit low a little lower than uh than the odds makers but uh i'm I'm fairly comfortable with that but there's not a big enough difference there for me to to think that's one of our best options really the only uh as far as group of five goes this is our our tightest uh group to the odds makers. so we're, we're right about half a point difference across the board half a win uh the only outlier is coastal carolina and and they're one that sort of in a way, compare similar to Navy and Air Force, you know the Air Force, the uh, military academies. Coastal Carolina is a young FBS program, mm-hmm. and so uh, our numbers because we the very base, the first thing we do is is use recruiting ratings, and then we make some adjustments, of course, for experience and production. But Coastal Carolina, because they, you know, several members of of the team, uh. Were recruited when Coastal Carolina was an FCS program or a transitional program. They are lower rated than perhaps they would have been if they were an FBS program. So I think that that drags down Coastal Carolina's roster strength rating a little bit. So I'm not shocked that our number is lower than the odds makers. It, it's uh, we have roughly four, and uh, DraftKings listed their total at five. So uh, that's that's reasonable. I mean I I, I would personally uh, if you're looking at our numbers keep in mind that uh, at least the la- you know the first three years because coastal Carolina has been in transition from FCS our numbers have always been a little bit low on them uh, so, so keeping that in mind it, it wouldn't be you know my favorite play if, if you were looking for value in the Sun Belt uh, but we are lower on coastal Carolina
2: so what you're saying Nick is I'll take all your $5 bets for when we play Alabama this year, <laughs> just in case.
0: Just in case. Him. That's right. Just
2: in case I'll put them down. Hey, I think we can, uh, you know, hopefully pop all part with $5 at the time. But if we win, guys, we're good. We're in great shape. <laughs> we're in great shape.
0: And the independents, uh, not surprising numbers here. Um You know, Notre Dame is really the best independent college. We talked about them last week. Then we have uh, Army at six and a half. Uh, They're usually pretty good. They're working with a new-ish quarterback, though. Uh, Hopkins, Jabari Laws got a lot of playing time uh, last year. BYU at six is like the most BYU number I think I've ever seen. (laughs) Uh, Liberty at five and a half. They lose some weapons. Uh, to the draft, specifically AGG, uh, UConn, UMass, and New Mexico State are right about where we'd expect them to be. Right, Xavier?
2: Yeah. Are you sure I wasn't giving you crap about picking UMass and Rutgers as your first game of the year last year? You know,
0: look, man, sometimes there are games that are interesting and we all know that you don't like the Big Ten. No one needs a reminder on that. Uh, We heard that when we went through the Big Ten. So, uh, But, look, Crappy teams matched up in a game together should make for a good game, and if I remember right, wasn't that UMass got out to like a twenty-eight zip lead and then Rutgers came back in one? Nick, wasn't that right?
1: It was. It was. I don't know if it was twenty-eight. I think it might have been seventeen or twenty-one. But yeah, I mean, we we were yeah. thinking okay, look at UMass. They're they're pretty interesting, and then they go on to. Win one game and still be considered one of the worst teams uh, of the la- you know of the 21st century. The defense was just historically, historically bad. And, and wasn't and so their that- coach?
0: Didn't he have like back surgery and was coaching from a hospital bed in the booth or something <laughs> for the was, first couple weeks?
1: That's that was who? That was, yeah.
0: that was so, who? So Hugh Freeze,
1: Hugh for Freeze, Liberty. Our, Liberty, our Liberty. You're, right, you're right, you're right, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, UMass had Walt Bell, uh, who, first-time head coach, had had come over from Florida State prior to that, Maryland. Uh, It was certainly a bumpy road. They had some discipline issues, ended up suspending like half a dozen guys, or no, close to a dozen guys uh, for different parts of the, the season. And then the defense was the the worst defense in college football history uh surpassing the the UConn 2018 defense I mean they, they were so so bad so I, I'm not shocked that DraftKings put the number at one and a half wins for UMass and and uh that that makes me of course nervous as, as whenever <laughs> any of these outliers I, I don't have like, great, great confidence in. Just, it's my nature, I think, to, to worry uh, and, and to be nervous about them. But uh, we have UMass ba- basically doubling that. We, we expect them to win almost three games on average. So uh, they do play Akron. They do, I believe, play uh, an FBS opponent, if, if memory serves. I can pull up our schedule portion and our new FBS team profiles to, to verify. Uh, but UMass is... is yeah, they play Albany. So uh, they play UConn. They play Albany. They play New Mexico. Akron. New Mexico State. Those are all winnable games. So I, I think they will. Uh, I think they will win at least two. So so I put myself into it. I'm confident. Lock it up. Best bet. Blah 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 blah. UMass. Uh, yeah, I, I feel pretty good. They're they're uh, one of our one of our outliers. They're going to win three games.
0: All right. Well, let's go talk about Conference USA now because we've got uh, a lot on our plate here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's when Nick goes blah, 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 blah. I mean, uh, he, he knows he's running long a little bit. So, um, uh, but, but let's go take a look at um, what happened last year first. And of course, um, from the uh, 2019 season, we had. Um, uh, you know, FAU was eleven and three. They were forty-four ranked overall. Uh, Marshall had a good year, eight and five. Uh, Western Kentucky strong year at nine and four. We had Louisiana Tech at ten and three. UAB at nine and five. Um, Southern Miss finished the game over five hundred at seven and six, and so did Charlotte. Everyone else kind of disappointing. FIU did, of course, beat Miami, but they were still uh, under five hundred at six and seven. Middle Tennessee four and eight. Old Dominion. One and eleven, and then in the West, um, we had North Texas. Uh, with was that Latrell's first year at North Texas? No, he's been there. Oh no, no, yeah. you know what I was thinking. Four. Him and Wells, I get mixed up because they were both up. I think for the uh, Utah State job. So, mm. um, but Latrell uh, four and eight, Rice uh, North Texas four and eight, rather Rice three and nine. Uh, UTSA four and eight and UTEP one and eleven. So, just your overall twenty nineteen recap on uh, on this conference here, Nick.
1: Yeah, so FAU, uh, we had projected to, to win about six and a half games, so they certainly overachieved. They'd come off a, a little bit of a disappointing. Uh, 2018 season and, and our numbers didn't uh, didn't love them and, and thought that they were uh, a little bit weaker from a, a roster strength and a team strength standpoint compared to Marshall, FIU, and even Middle Tennessee. But uh, FIU, who we really did expect to compete for the East Division championship, uh, was was probably my biggest disappointment, especially in that division. I mean, they were uh, from a from a power rating standpoint they're our second best team uh though we didn't necessarily you know we, we did have marshall as our number one team had them expected to win the east and and uh, had them favored in 10 games they fell a little bit short uh western kentucky We only had favored in in two games, but, you know, as we've talked about before, the way we sort of total up all the uh, individual game win projections and and count the wins, we did expect them to win uh, almost five games on average. So our, our, you know, combined win projections were certainly better, Uh, had a lot of, uh, had them expected to lose a lot of toss-up games. And and, uh, one thing we didn't see them doing was losing to Central Arkansas to start the year, thought, you know, okay, this is this is looking good. Western Kentucky is one of our weaker teams. And then all of a sudden they, you know, started playing incredible defense and and uh, uh, really had a, a, an excellent run after that point. So as far as the East goes, FIU being the, the biggest disappointment, Charlotte and Western Kentucky were pretty pleasant surprises. We expected those uh, teams to, to both fall short of bowl eligibility uh, and only had them you know, favored in five games total, and then, of course, they were able to to go on and, and do some really good things. In the West, Louisiana Tech was our, our favorite, and they, they really were the strongest team all year, except for when they lost three of their starters to uh, suspension for two games late in the year, lost both of those games when they were in a division race, so that really uh, sort of hurt them, of course, and, and uh, had them come up short of our preseason expectations. Uh, but they weren't quite as disappointing as North Texas. I mean, we had Mason Fine uh, was a 100-rated player based on all of his production going into a senior year, and, and they just really couldn't get it together. Fine was banged up a little bit. Uh, they had some injuries at, at both the running back and receiver positions as well so all of that sort of culminated in a a pretty disappointing season UAB meanwhile was able to take advantage of uh, a really really weak schedule and and come out on top uh, in in the division but uh, the rest of the the west sort of lined up pretty similar to what we expected thought Southern Miss would be good not great uh, and didn't really see much out of UTSA UTEP or, or Rice so
0: And Xavier, your feelings on the 2019 for Conference USA?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, FAU finally was one of the teams that we always talk about, have a lot of talent, and it it finally came to fruition. Um, You know, they surprised us a little bit uh, based on the numbers with finishing with 11 wins, but it seemed like all year they they were the most talented team throughout the conference. Um, When you look at a team like Marshall, I feel like they underachieved a little bit. Uh, Had a couple of head-scratching losses last year. Uh, especially the one in Middle Tennessee, which I alluded to earlier, um, especially when they started off the year and after barely losing to a Boise state team on the road, I was like, okay, this Marshall team really might be able to run the table um, in its own conference. Um, when you lose to a team like Middle Tennessee, it's not a really great look um, as well as losing the Marshall at the end of, uh, or Charlotte at the end of the year. Also, you know, a tough loss to take uh, for a team that we thought was going to win inside of the conference. Uh, when you look at the West, uh, you look at a team like UAB, um, every time UAB, you know, does something like this, it just surprises me. Um, it makes me happy because, you know, uh, three years ago, they were not a football program. Three or four years ago. Uh, for, so for them to be you know, challenging for their side of the conference in this sh- in such a short time um, is just amazing in its own right. Uh, Louisiana Tech, uh, once again, you know, looking uh, as one of the best teams in the conference, uh, they tend to about year in, year out. Um, I've been keeping my eyes on Louisiana Tech since about since Johnny Manziel was at A&M. And they've been really one of the best teams in the conference since then. Uh, but it, it kind of went how the numbers projected it to be. Um, the only out, the, one of the kind of fun outliers for me was Rice. You know, we had projected them going 0-12. And they won three games. So hey, uh, you know that, that was a little fun thing that I saw when, uh, when I was looking at the numbers and looking at the schedule uh, for this year. But uh, other than that, um, the conference had the worst bowl record of all of the G five uh, programs, uh, all G five uh, conferences um, during the bowl season. And then they had the second uh, worst uh, win loss record of any of the conference, uh, any of the conferences. Period. Um, other than the Big Twelve, I believe, who went one and seven. So. I, I on your point about rice and and it's it's important
1: sort of for the the uh, conversation we just had and and last week as well with the win total so uh, we we did have rice projected as the underdog in all twelve games. so if we're just you know going through and and putting that uh, you know who who should win who who's favored to win, they were on the wrong end at all of them, but because we Total up each win percentage. So there were some games where they had a ten percent chance. There were some games when they had a twenty-five percent chance. Whatever it is, it actually uh, worked out to if we were to play that uh, schedule, you know, a hundred times or a thousand times or ten thousand, whatever, uh, we would expect have expected them to win two point three eight games, and they ended up winning three. So I, I, it's it actually worked out fairly well on rice. So it, you know. Keep that in mind for the, you know, thinking about the, the previous conversation we had is though we might expect somebody to, you know, be an underdog in each game or a favorite in each game, uh, that the likelihood of, of each game actually, you know, working out exactly that way is, is very, very small. That's why we take little bits and pieces and add them, add them up uh, into that projected wins total. So I'm not sure I did a very good job uh before we got into the win totals discussion this week or last of, of maybe really explaining that uh to our listeners so I, I think that's you know just so, something to keep in mind if as we're looking ahead because we'll have 2020 preseason projections before long as well and it'll say you know projected record but really i want I want everybody out there to keep in mind that's just how many games we have them favored to win it's not necessarily like oh we're you know rice is going, winless, you know, right. for sure. So so just keep keep that in mind. I don't think I did a great job before of explaining that, but when we do look at 2020 uh preseason projections, I just sort of want everybody to be familiar with that.
0: And looking at 2020, uh no we have no conference USA teams in the top fifty. The highest-ranked one is FAU at 54 overall. Now, they're not returning a bunch. Four offensive starters, they are returning Robus in the quarterback and only three on defense. Western Kentucky is our number two-ranked team in Conference USA at 76 overall. They're returning almost the entire defense, 10 defensive starters they're returning, and that was a dominant defense last year. So good news for them. Six returners on offense. Then we have UAB uh, with nine offense and eight defense, including the quarterback. Same thing with Southern Miss. They're 77. Southern Miss is 79. They have nine on offense and seven on defense, including the quarterback. And then after that, um, in the 80s, we have Marshall, uh, eight returning starters on offense, including the quarterback, but only three on defense, and defense is their strength. Uh, Louisiana Tech uh, returns six starters on offense, two on defense. They're ranked 83. FIU, 95 overall, only three returning starters on offense and six on defense. After that, everyone is in the triple digits here. Uh, Middle Tennessee and then uh, North Texas at 104, Charlotte at 105. Uh, Then we've got Old Dominion at 116, Rice at 125, and UTEP, I believe, is the lowest-rated school in the country at 130, right? Only three returners on offense and four on defense, and they weren't good last year. So uh, rough for (laughs) UTEP. But, uh, Nick, what are your initial thoughts going into 2020 for Conference USA?
1: So, first and foremost, I, I was not shocked that FAU was the favorite. From a, a roster strength standpoint, they're the only team whose roster, uh, when we incorporate their recruiting ratings, experience, and production, is over an 80. And and so, uh, it, it was not a shock at all, despite the overall lack of experience, that they are uh, – or at least lack of continuity from returning starters. Uh, even even because of that, I, I was not surprised that they're sort of the clear favorite, about twenty or so spots ahead of the, the second-rated team. Uh, part of that is Chris Robison, the, the quarterback, came back uh, had a, a really an excellent excellent year in twenty nineteen. And, and if you're going to uh, only return four starters, if, if one of them is your all-conference quarterback, who you know put up. Uh, nine total production points which is among the nation leaders according to the the way we calculate our player ratings he's a, a 97 rated player as a junior very very good uh I, i'm really really pretty high on him uh despite the fact that he's working in basically a, a brand new crop of receivers fortunately uh three of those guys coming in are a uh transfers two of them grad transfers uh one from clemson tj chase one from uh duke who was a starter at duke aaron young so uh, he hasn't worked with those guys before but uh they're they're you know pretty highly regarded uh tj chase played in 41 games for clemson was never a star obviously and, and sort of got uh jumped you know the the Justin Rosses of the world sort of jumped ahead in, in the pecking order uh, over the years. But, uh, you know, from a, a raw talent standpoint, he's a guy that was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. So somebody that could potentially emerge as one of Chris Robinson's top wideouts. And, and uh, the running back position, there's not a returning starter there, though Malcolm Davidson uh, got the bulk of the carries. He split time with Larry McCammon and B.J. Emmons was hurt most of the year, but he came back. And and so all of those guys are uh, experienced and and fairly talented and did some good things uh, in in the offense. So FAU, it makes sense uh, despite a, a small you know, number of returning starters that they're going to be uh, the team to beat here. If there's going to be a challenger in the East, it seems like it's Western Kentucky uh, for the opposite reason that they are so uh, experienced. Now, two of their losses are, are big: losing Ty Story, their their starting quarterback, Arkansas transfer, uh, and then Lucky Jackson, who was one of the most productive receivers in the country, one of the, the you know uh, highest target rates in the country, and, and so those are two big losses, but if that defense can uh, continue to play like it did last year, they're going to be very, very tough. They're, they're certainly uh, in the mix. Uh, on the other side, UAB is the, the uh, returns the most overall uh, production in that division, second most in the league, just behind Old Dominion, according, according to Bill Connolly's numbers, uh, defending champs. So you would think most experienced team, defending champs, pretty high likelihood of them uh, winning it this year. But I personally kind of like Southern Miss, and, and Jack Abraham, the quarterback I've, I've been impressed with. They're a receiving core. They've got a, uh, you know, they, they do lose uh, their most talented receiver left early for uh the nfl draft quez watkins but uh tim jones did some excellent things uh they've got jalen adams coming back who is coming off an injury but was incredibly incredibly explosive in the first half of the season uh, i really really like southern miss so that's going to be uh the the race in my opinion And they do play the last game of the year and it's at UAB, So a little bit of an edge there to the Blazers. But uh, overall, I think Southern Miss is, is going to be in the mix. And by the end of the year, our projections could certainly have uh, something different. Louisiana Tech losing uh, J.B.R. Smith at quarterback. We saw what happened to them without him last year. But keep an eye for Luke Anthony, who's a transfer from Adeline Christian. Uh, grad transfer, did some good things at the FCS level, uh, comes in with eight total production points including three last year so he's he's got an opportunity to step in and, and uh, be the starter we should challenge Aaron Allen who got the start when Smith was suspended last year North Texas I think has an opportunity to bounce back even though they lose Mason Fine even though uh, they had a, a transfer with uh, Rico Busey we don't know where he's going to end up quite yet but it's not going to be North Texas they do return Trey Siggers and DeAndre Torrey both at running back they've got Jalen Darden who was an all Conference USA level player at uh, receiver. And the, the defense is is going to be inexperienced. But I think that offense has an opportunity, even without Mason Fine, if either Jason Bean or Austin On or Cason Martin, whoever steps in and becomes the starter there, has a lot of talent to work with. I think they certainly have an opportunity to get back into the top half of the division. Uh, UTSA Rice and, and UTEP, we're just not
0: that high on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> hey, that UTEP, is. I mean, th- that's so the most short. insulting UTEP. thing that that Nick could say is we're not that <laughs> high on them.
1: Well, I, 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 I debated stopping, but I think it's worth going just one notch higher. Okay. I, I, I like UTEP. I think I, you know they're they're kind of like a team that, UTEP. that
0: stop. That. Yeah, a, right. A
1: Come nice, on. But like on the old NCAA, I would play with UTEP sometimes. I mean, oh, like, you know. The, it's a it's a big stadium yeah but you did that just to see if
0: you could fix them like come on we all yeah come
1: on sure so all that said (laughs) i do like you. this is the worst team in the in the country and it's really not that close i mean they could be they could be umass or akron from last year UConn from a couple of years ago they could be that bad so if, if you're looking for somebody to i mean to bet against on a weekly basis. UTEP is is going to lose a lot of games by, by a pretty wide margin.
0: In the team strength ratings, they're 2 full points behind Rice and Rice is 125. So, it ain't yeah, good right. for UTEP this yeah. year. So, uh I mean, Xavier, what uh what do you like about Conference USA? What are you looking forward to and it better not be UTEP. Oh, yeah. it's
2: absolutely <laughs> UTEP. No. Oh, uh when you, oh. First things first, you know, I think when we look at FAU, we look at a team that, you know, obviously had the amazing season that they did last year winning 11 games. Uh, But I think that we need to nip it in the bud now that the narrative that if they don't go and win 11 games this year, that it's all of a sudden Willie Taggart's fault should be nipped in the bud right now. This is a team that's obviously returning only four starters on offense, three on defense. Um, And honestly, with that kind of production returning on top of the fact that it's a brand new coach on top of the fact that you guys haven't had a spring to use. Don't blame Taggart right away. Um, You know, a lot of people are obviously going to come for his head uh, who don't know this information. uh, But regardless, don't look at last year's record as an indicator of what they will be this year. I think FAU, although they're this talented, is going to drop a little bit um, from their 11 win total last year. Uh, When you look at teams like Marshall, I I, I see a team that is going to be very offensive heavy, obviously, uh, with a team that last year. Really relied on a, on a defense to carry them a lot. Uh, their offense wasn't very potent last year. Um, it, it was it was pretty good at times, uh, but it also had its lows. Uh, and you know, most importantly, when you look at the Gasparilla Bowl last year, obviously the offense only showed up for a half. The defense didn't really have it all going for them. Uh, and I think that that's going to be something that you have to look at this year. Um, their offense is going to have to carry them uh, for them to win ball ballgames. Uh, you know, we hit it on the head uh, with Middle Tennessee, you know, being a team last year that could upset a team like UAB, um, returning offensive starters, uh, being at eight, being, the, being that they're getting their quarterback back, um, I think it's going to be really bode well for them. Um, you know, I think Middle Tennessee is a team that has the opportunity to win more ballgames than what they did last year. Um, you know going into the year you had middle Tennessee you know the numbers had middle Tennessee possibly winning seven games obviously they underperformed I think this is a team that can well uh, overperform their four wins that they had last year Um, and now we move on to the west Um, UAB is a team that I think um, contrary to what Nick said is going to win this side of the division and possibly win the conference Um, you're returning so much talent from last year that already was you know one of the best teams in the conference and that only bodes well for them going forward uh, i see no way, reason why uab would struggle next year um, outside of the head scratching losses that they had last year uh, they if they fix those things and i think you fix that with experience um and, and being up for every game and not you know letting any team you know get by you or looking over any team I think that fixes that and I think they run the table uh, their only other competition obviously is southern miss in this side of the uh, on this side of the conference um, other than that I don't really think I have anything else to say um, yeah I think I'm gonna stop there
0: <laughs> All right. Well, that's good because I do have. A, I got a heart out in about two minutes anyway, so we have to yeah. go. Uh, perfect timing to wrap it up here uh, next week, Nick. We have uh, which conference are we going with next week, Mac? At the Mac next week.
1: That's right. All right, Thursday. Mac, and then the Sun Belt and
0: the Independence. Right, right. So uh, I mean, get ready for Xavier's Back Thursday uh, on
2: a Wednesday.
0: Yeah, I- I- explosive. <laughs> Uh, uh, look at Akron, uh, of course, and, uh, Miami of Ohio and all of his favorite Mac teams. So remember, I,
1: I I, I ran out of time talking about Bowling Green was our other outlier. We're much higher on Bowling
0: Green. Yeah. Yeah. Now save uh, it for next week, Nick. Save it for next week. We can't, we can't have it here. So, uh, follow (laughs) us all on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, of course, at Xavier underscore Trish, uh, T-R-I-C-H-E for him on the Twitter and at Bogman Sports for me. And uh, stay safe out there, wash your hands, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
1: CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.